<clears throat> Cheers, brother. Top of the morning, Dan. L'chaim. Mm. Gotta get a little bit more casual as we talk about a sillier motion picture than mm-hmm. Bo is Afraid. We gotta get back to that crazy that Z morning zoo vibe. Party get bus. this through your head, you Jew motherfucker, you! Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Pesci. <laughs> um, hi, Dan. Hi. You know, such is the way it goes when you uh, have to drop your podcast's IQ to watch things like Phantom Thread from the genius that is the Fast and Furious franchise. But here we are, and um, second... Serious episode in a row. Second episode where I have all new samples on the sample board that I probably won't use. <laughs> I don't think if it if if I if I didn't need this one for Bo is Afraid, then I won't need it this week. Every man in this room got two levels of cum. <laughs> Should have used that in the last episode. Mm-hmm. That's literally what I just said. Um, <clears throat> Dan. We just took a walk. We got a smoothie mm-hmm. in downtown Maniunk. Yeah, getting that fine Philadelphia cuisine. <laughs> Outside, quote. The, Mani- the Maniunk food <laughs> scene is thus so fire most so that what we landed on was a smoothie. Franzones is pretty good. That's about the only thing I can wrap. They got a area. good sauce. They got good gravy. <laughs> um, Why don't they cast me in Goodfellas, dude? Let's even out the score. Who would you have been? What? Just I'm, I'm just any Italian. <laughs> I'm saying we got to even it out. I know they're stealing our you gotta thunder go right now. Get your man's. Did I see you on the internet refer to Bradley Cooper as the greatest living actor? One of yeah, absolutely. That's fucking one of the most wild takes I've ever seen from you. Well, I'm sure you haven't seen most of his best movies. Probably so like what? Like um, Nightmare Alley, I thought was unreal performance from him. Nope, didn't see it. Um, <laughs> what else we got? Uh, he was a digital raccoon in. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I thought he was fantastic in A Star Is Born. I thought that was incredible acting for someone in his you know range of uh, talents. Um, big fan of uh, um, the movie with Jennifer Lawrence. Don't look up. <laughs> no, uh, the one that takes place in Philly, baby. The um, Silver Linings Playbook, oh. um, and um, I just think that he's, was a good movie. But I think he's got tremendous range and is just a great actor. Everything I have seen him in, in yeah, but that's different than the best actor. He's like the best male actor out there right now. I think he's like you could literally put him in anything. He's gonna be just golden. Wow, there are other people I that, that I think this. that's some uh, Pennsylvania he, bias. People love Bradley Cooper. I know they do. They're a bunch he's of an absolute treasure. Dorks, they're dorks. Yeah. I don't think you're going to be received particularly well Bradley for this Bradley Cooper. Day. Fuck off. <laughs> what Bradley Cooper movies are you, like, finding so much bias in? Just the Hangover movies? No, I mean, I like I think he's a good actor. I just don't think he's an exceptional actor. Hmm. I haven't seen any indication that he's an exceptional. We're about to review a Daniel Day-Lewis picture. Okay. Yeah, let's, you know, well, he's retired. Yeah. So, unfortunately, he can't be in the... The, uh, running anymore for this conversation. I think Joaquin Phoenix is a better actor than Bradley <clears throat> Cooper. Yeah, for sure. Right, but good. he's he's one of the goats. 
Yeah, but what you said is Bradley Cooper is the GOAT currently. I'd put him in the top three. I think a lot of people would. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Bradley Cooper, Dan Enden's not a fan. I, I just think I, I'm not not a fan. He's not not a fan. Yeah. Huge news coming out from the Philadelphia area. Unremarkable. Dan Enden doesn't really think something's remarkable. He's no Affleck. Fuck you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit! Oh, shit! Hello there. Hello there. So, here we are with Dan's choice for the week, Phantom Thread. Yeah. This is like starting off with the same energy of the mov- as the movie. <laughs> Dan, P.T. Anderson fan? Uh, yes. I'm going to say I'm, it's... Uh, Better than Bradley Cooper? Yeah. We're... It, it, I guess it's relatively similar to the Wes Anderson... Anderson discussion. Like where Bradley Cooper directs his own movies, Dan. Now, I, yeah, it's pretty it's, special. Like, that's what Ben Affleck does. I know for ben, Oscars. Ben Affleck, fine to try to repair his career. I think he's doing all right. He's always doing all right. Yeah, he's got J Lo. He's got a big dick. Probably, you'd have to imagine. <laughs> Go on, Dan. I can't like imagine J Lo is tolerating a small penis. <laughs> that's she, true. she doesn't have to. That's true. That's very true. Um, so, you know, congrats to Affleck for his penis. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson, yet another director, auteur, modern marvel, a filmmaking genius who has made a handful of movies that are some of the absolute best, most favorite movies I've ever seen, <laughs> and then a handful of movies that like I would rather kill myself than ever watch again. <laughs> And which one is it this time? Wait, don't tell me. <coughs> Do bring sheets, though. Um, should we run through the Paul Thomas Anderson? Yeah. Real quick. Yep. Um, I think we're relatively aligned on this as well. Hard Eight, both of us, we recently talked about on the podcast. Bad. Like, Yeah, whatever. Boogie Nights, I know. One of the best of all time. Yeah. One of my top ten favorite movies ever. Magnolia. Like one of my top twenty favorite movies ever. Okay, Punch Drunk Love. Like one of my top twenty favorite movies ever. Yeah, There Will Be Blood. Just one of the greatest movies ever made. The Master. One of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Inherent Vice. A great movie, but there's something, the piece missing in there, that I've never been able to get past. But mostly a great movie. Is the piece it being incredibly fucking boring? No, I didn't find it boring. Okay. I found it dense, but not boring. Um, we're going to skip Phantom Thread, and then we got Licorice Pizza. Half-baked. And someone obviously wanted to fuck a Lynn Haim. Yeah. Um, and, and it's me, baby. So, so we have, 
you know, I think Boogie Nights. <laughs> Here I go hitting on. No, Boogie Nights through There Will Be Blood, I think is like as strong a streak to start someone's like mainstream career. You said Boogie Nights There Will Be Blood? Boogie Nights through There Will oh, Be Blood. Oh, through There Will Be Blood. That, yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the only remotely comparable thing is Tarantino. And that's if you give Jackie Brown like the biggest pass in the world. Yeah. I'm not a fan of um, Jackie Brown. And with every year on this planet, I am less impressed with the work of Quentin Tarantino and find it uh, derivative, amateur, amateurish at times, and just wholly obsessed with saying the N-word in a way that I find <laughs> completely uncomfortable, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue with that besides Tarantino himself. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Boogie Nights amazing magnolia amazing punch drunk love like unappreciated fucking gem yeah and there will be blood i'm on record repeatedly that's easily in my top five for sure like yep we the theme of this season thus far is filmmakers who have made some of my absolute (laughs) top 10 favorite movies ever and then filmmakers who have taken such quality declines that like i don't even care when they come out with a new movie Mm -hmm. as such i had never seen phantom thread because i was like it's the last daniel day lewis movie like i need once i watch it it's over and you know then i watched the master and i was like (laughs) i don't want i might already was I, i it hadn't even occurred to me that what was on the table was the last daniel day lewis picture being something that i fucking hate because I was like, Daniel Day-Lewis, PTA, I'm good. There's no way this movie doesn't absolutely bang. And then I watched The Master mm-hmm. and was like, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> There's a lot of potential here to make something that does not bang. Okay. Um, licorice Pizza. I like. I don't know what happened in that one year span that like we had to get fucking bombarded with like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Licorice Pizza at the same time terrible of just like watching two two terrible navel gazing garbage movies honestly like just people praising both of those movies and shitting on bo is afraid for being like too Mm -hmm. up its own ass like okay or asteroid city this is this is getting frankly too surreal for me we're doing too many auteurs this season (laughs) because like i have dan like pitching for for Ari Aster right now it just takes a little adjusting to <laughs> it's been years of abuse that I've taken over Midsommar that I have to now rectify but um I hate Midsommar that's crazy okay um uh god every time you say that it like really derails my train of thought because it just upsets me so stupid should we just review that instead again <laughs> should we do a live watch Oh shit! Here we go again. Um, CJ, I would prefer to not do a live. Oh, you want to do um, like a Midsummer, our first commentary, but it's you just shitting on it the whole time and me getting upset. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, this is the scene I also feel nothing about and I hate. Where he doesn't cut because the camera's too long, it lingers, and I'm like, this means so much, and then I cry. Ten out of ten. Midsummer, yeah. Uh, <laughs> once upon so anyway, once upon a time in Hollywood, I gave a six, and you gave a six point nine. 
Yeah, that's that, a high score. That is a high score. I think uh, not as a exercise for this podcast, but just in my general life, like I owe it to myself to rewatch The Master and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <sighs> it's just so fucking dull. I loved one scene of that movie. It's the whole like Brad Pitt at the compound scene. Everything yeah, else. Yeah, of course. Everything else in the but movie. But it's like is that, just it terrible. felt like Tarantino being like, look at all these dudes who are like being seen as like the hot new dudes. All their so, movies have like these crazy escalations. I want to do a crazy escalation. Like, dude. No, every single one of his movies has a crazy escalation. But That's like steadily, the basis for not, every single movie. It's not like Once movie. Upon a Time in Hollywood where the entire movie is like down here and then the last five minutes yeah. are up here because like, why not? Yeah, that was terrible. You can't do that. That's like, just that's a, not even like a pacing issue. Hateful like, Eight just like, is like they spend every minute of the movie building up to the end. Which one's Hateful Eight? Is that the one where in the bar? Yeah, with um, with like Tim Roth. Tim Roth was he in it? I guess so. Uh, I remember the name Daisy Domergue being repeated five hundred times in it, starring Samuel Jackson and Kurt Russell. Out in the woods in the snow. That movie is just ten out of ten. Love that movie. That's. Yeah, he fucking. They, it starts with. Uh, starts with her being transported to a bar. Yeah, during yeah, a snowstorm. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. In like colonial. America. That was my favorite thing. Have you ever watched the eight-hour fucking version? I tried and was like, no. I watched it. Terrible. Yeah. Why would I? That was really bad. I was like, I was like, oh, he's back to make. <laughs> I watched that and I was like, oh, he's back to making tight movies and fucking. Yeah, everyone's complaint about that was that it was so drawn out, and I was like, it's, but it's like a play. Like mm-hmm. it's the whole movie felt like a play. Like it, and it was good. Right. Um. No, I liked I liked Hateful Eight quite a bit more than Hard Eight. So PTA like, but for, dude, he made There Will Be Blood. That yeah. is, as far as American movies go, that might be my favorite movie ever. Like that is a movie that people find incredibly boring. That I don't think there's a single moment that I would change in that movie. I think that, it's absolutely <laughs> perfect. Like an actual ten out of ten movie. I fi- I find uh, anyone who is. Um, we all know we're talking about Andrew Fisher, but anybody who really hates There Will Be Blood needs like a hard look at themselves. It's just an odd thing to hate. It's it's a, the kind of movie that it's like in always objectively a good movie. It it's the kind of movie that seems like, um, and this is what I find interesting about certain directors and like in some ways sometimes Kubrick, um, just that feeling that they're creating something that had already existed like Barry Lyndon, um, something that is alien in the sense that like, how did you get to this time and place in your mind and where you're at in your life as like a 30 year old man to be like, I'm going to make a movie about an oil baron. I mean, that's not something that like a normal person would do. And there are plenty of filmmakers like M night Shyamalan who never broke their style and it caused their career to ex- just implode entirely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the word auteur is thrown around so frivolously at this point in like, yeah. the zeitgeist that, like, but I feel like for our generation, like, Paul Thomas Anderson is the only one that I actually see as, like, a true, like, when I think, like, auteur, I'm like Orson Welles. Like, like the man makes missteps, but when he's on, he's fucking on. Like, and Paul Thomas Anderson, I, I can't think of in our lifetimes, like, a more successful filmmaker in terms of, like, the quality how the average output even like though i hate the master so much and like i hate and i find heartache to just be a nothing movie 
Like, didn't Fisher say Hard Eight is the best yeah. all time? Uh, like, yeah. That's just like such a hipster take. It's, it's such like a bad take. literally something someone in the record store would say to me. Hard Eight just feels like the kind of movie where if PTA didn't make Hard Eight, no one would give a fuck about that movie whatsoever. Oh, of course not. No, people people didn't give a fuck about it when it, it happened. It's like so. people who say the best Wes Anderson movie is Bottle Rocket. Like, it's just like shut up, dude. Like, that's shut like the, the shit up. I would say in like high school to be like edgy to make it known that I was aware of another Wes Anderson movie. Congratulations, Hard Eight. Oh yeah, Heart Eight's better than Boogie Heart Eight Nights. Is ju- yeah, I'm <laughs> so stupid. It's just like a stupid thing to say out loud. It's so fucking crazy to say, like, like and not, it is. It's ludicrous. And not immediately be like it's absurd. Parentheses slash sarcasm. So I, I I think that what happened with um, PTA is similar to what happened with Darren Aronofsky, where like people had come to expect a certain thing from him. And he decided it's time to shirk that, which which I think is an interesting move. Um, And Aronofsky did it, I would say, better than PTA. Uh, He just kind of like turned into this like raw, emotional, one-on-one, like grounded filmmaker from having blown his load on the fountain. Like, and then just has made nothing but stripped down, realistic, minus Noah, my God. No, that was the movie where he really blew it. I think he did that after the fountain. And then like he was like, I'm gonna turn around and make like Oscar winning incredible movies. Like Paul Thomas Anderson, same trajectory. He made Boogie Nights, and that movie has such like a clear Hollywood aesthetic and such a pop culture embraced like energy to it. It's just such a colorful, vibrant movie. And Magnolia, while it is just like the polar opposite in its emotionality. It's also this huge, unwieldy, um, huge tracking shot, large ensemble with most of the same actors. Everything he's done since then, he's like dropped all the actors that he's ever worked with. He picks, in this case, a Phantom Thread, like an unknown for the main role besides Daniel Day-Lewis, which is, I would say, a, a... kind of comment on what Paul Thomas Anderson is trying to do with this and there will be blood, which I really think are two movies that would play together absolutely perfectly as a double feature. They both are just like different kinds of skewerings of masculinity played on completely polar opposite canvases and at totally different times in history by men who are totally fraught and insanely successful but for completely different reasons and have completely different intents over why they do the work that they do to become powerful. It's like two movies that are really inverse to each other um, and are interesting and play off each other. And I think that both of them are really like grounded. And like I was saying before, alien movies where it's like, how did you get to this point? Like, creatively after making like an epic about porn and like having like magnolia kind of be this like mtv generationist Hmm. uh feeling like it felt like our mtv generation kind of rallied around magnolia at the time and like amy mann took off and like the soundtrack was huge and like that was like kind of unique to that era in its own way and he was becoming this pop filmmaker whether or not he liked it and with these huge actors in it the greatest fiona apple music video right and, and and then it seemed like maybe after his relationship with fiona apple and like into more of his like marriage to maya rudolph and becoming like a, a regular old man that like he's 
retracted into this very like realistic, grounded, but mostly actor heavy kind of again like Aronofsky leaning hard into a central performance of a film. Oh yeah. Um that's what the master arguably was an attempt at. Yeah. That's what because it didn't have anything else besides acting. Yeah. Um that's what did that movie still not make any sense? Like I feel like I watched it. I've only seen it once. I feel like I watched it and was like this, what the master? Yeah, like this movie. Like no, wh- you watched it twice because you saw it in theaters and then you watched it again, which led to me watching it. I feel like I don't remember. It like doesn't make sense. It's not a movie that made well sense. Um, it wasn't about like anything. It was just like a portrayal of just like a really upset guy being like a piece of shit to everyone. Walking Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember hating that movie. I mean, both. Both times I watched it, I have no memory of watching it twice. I, I can't I'm even remember. I'm positive you watched it twice because you wrote a review about I can't remember. watch it twice. What did I say? That I hated it both times? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've watched it twice and you hate it both times? No, I only watched it once. Oh, you only watched it once? Yeah. I watched it that time. Oh, but upon, I thought upon you, your second watch, I thought I you said it. you had watched it recently. You yeah, this was, like it. A, this was like a year and a half ago. I thought like one of the basic tenets of the podcast was that... We both hated the master. No. That was years ago. No. On an episode of this podcast, you informed me about the existence of the master. I didn't even know it was a movie. That was like, that was where we learned that there was like the blank spot of when I was like touring in college. I didn't see any movies for like three years. I had no idea what you were talking about. Wow. Well, bad movie. Yeah. I watched it for the first time within the last two years. That's crazy. Fucking hated it. Yeah. I hate it. Like, hate that movie. (laughs) Which sucked because like that was, that felt like the moment. The turning point where he became what he is now. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't care for Inherent Vice, and I fucking uh, don't. What was the one he just came? Uh, Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. I will never watch that again. Mm-mm. Like I were at the point we're at we're at a uh, we're at Fantastic Mister Fox phase of his career where I'm like, whatever happens next is gonna color what I'm thinking of you moving forward, my guy. Uh oh, this is a. This is a big build-up, kind of like Bo's Afraid. Oh, shit. Here we go again. Yeah, but then, Dan, there's a little X factor thrown into the mix, which is that I hadn't seen Phantom Thread. <laughs> yeah. So, sure. this was my, well, what do you got next, guy? This is my moment with PTA. So, should I go first? Should we hold off your opinion like last time to drop like a huge bomb at the end of the episode? We can do. Or do you I... want to um, lead up front here? Who wants to go first? Should we rock, paper, scissors for the first time on this podcast? Let's do it. Best of three. Well, I mean, I, no, Dan, I, fine, okay. What, did you have some kind of plan over there? No, I have exactly the opposite of a plan. So what does that mean? Nothing. You're just going to, what do you mean? Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to schedule this? You don't want to schedule who goes first? I, I mean, we're already doing it now. This all right, here we go. All right. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Gotcha. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, okay. Well, hold on. It's it's one one. It's one. Wait. So does the winner go first or not go? First? The winner is allowed to choose. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's one one. Okay. Rock paper scissors shoot. Gotcha. Oh. All right. Um, I'll go first. Knew it. Let's go. Because I'm a narcissist. Um, Phantom Thread is maybe the only movie from this period of time that I think is is like worth any kind of shit. I I love Phantom Thread. Like movie in general or from him? From him in this later like yeah. bizarre in era. Late stage Anderson. Um when you're talking about like let's say B tier Anderson because I I'm not going to be the guy 
It says, and I have heard this, that this is like his best movie. Psychotic take. Um, yeah, I saw that <laughs> quite a bit. Um, uh, if anyone comes to the table with that idea, I'm going to need them to stop it up front. What we have here is a handsomely dressed. I know dressed, someone who that's their opinion. Handsomely dressed period piece. Beautiful attention to detail. Absolutely cracking score from Johnny Greenwood. Gorgeous visuals. Great performances. Twisted relationship. Kind of an extrapolation of the moment from Punch Drunk Love where um, they start talking to each other about ripping each other's faces off and eating them, but as an entire movie. (laughs) It's that kind of like, doesn't love make you crazy feeling that some of his work gives off. Maybe there is some of that in his other stuff besides the most obvious one of Punch Drunk Love, but um, not really thinking that far ahead. And um, it's not his best movie or anything like that, and it's not DDL's best performance, but it is amazing to watch him inhabit that character. Uh, I love Reynolds Woodcock. I think he is a great character. I love his affectation in speaking. I wish I could do a better impression of him. Maybe I'll try later. And... Damn, would probably hope not. And um, I think that there are single lines of dialogue in this movie that are worth like their weight in gold. If you're to look at them on a piece of paper, um, this movie has an incredibly cerebral, cerebral approach to relationships, to a toxic relationship, and is very unlike anything I've ever seen. I would have appreciated it had been maybe a half an hour longer. I felt like it rushes to its conclusion too quickly and you had spent all this time having Daniel Day-Lewis um, learn how to be a dressmaker for a fucking year like give me some more background shots of like him doing his job uh, I know I usually am not the person asking for those things but I am fully sold on this movie's environment and vibe and just every detail in it so I'm totally fine with taking much, much more of it. I don't know why it was such a sparse movie, but I guess he just wanted to just make something brief and lighter weight than some of his other work while still providing a lot of things that only kind of an auteur could provide. Um, Extremely authentic experience. Great acting, but almost performance. I think she was an old, that actress. Um, as the mom, I want to say, I might be mixing up my French or Spanish or whatever she is actresses, but, um, very just, je- yeah, that was her in old, um, just not, I just feel like she struggles with the part and didn't really give me what, fully what I want ever. But this second time now that I've watched it ever, uh, stronger, stronger showing from her, I could get more into her character anyway. Um, I would say his most Kubrickian movie. Uh, it's very similar to Eyes Wide Shut in Damn. terms of career moments for him. It's got Barry Lyndon vibes. It's got Barry Lyndon vibes. Um, all in all, I, I don't know. Eyes Wide Shut is like so much more like decadent than this film is. Like very much less. <laughs> this film's gra- pretty decadent. Less grounded. I felt this movie feels like a smaller production. Than Eyes Wide Shut. It feels yeah, like a sure. very small production. This movie felt like it was made for not a lot of money and just looks great. I think 
reportedly there's no cinematographer for this movie. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's accurate. Which is wild because it looks, woo, like a fucking painting. Yeah. I print out every frame in this movie yeah, and put beautiful. it on my wall. And that is Dan Lyons' review of uh, Phantom Thread from 2018, was it? I think it's 2007. Way off. And I'm way off. We've been drinking. 2007, no way. 17. Oh, 17. Okay. Great. Um, uh, Dan Enden. So what's the score? Uh, what's the score is so fucking difficult. It's such an alien movie. I know, because I kept like going... It's a, I mean, it's a great movie, but like, <sighs> it's like, do you rank it in terms of like overall movies or like in terms of his filmography? Because once you start you being like, well, this that he made is a ten out of ten, so you like, is this that? No, rank it by his filmography, or it's it's going to fail. Right. I'm gonna give Phantom Thread. But then, but that means it should fail even more on the wide spectrum. Oh, and I've been writing. What did you give? Bo is afraid. A nine. Incredible. You didn't give it a nine because I quit the podcast, did you? <laughs> no. All right. Um, and I gave it a eight. God in heaven, I can't even believe I gave it an eight, but I gave it an eight. You gave it a seven point five, and I think I sold you on the eight. Well, I had to. I had to uh, come to the realization that I had lifted Mitsumar's score because that's what it was all about for me. You had like, to go through a therapy session, much like Bo. I did. Such a deeper film than his other films, but. Much more flawed and ridiculous in sometimes a good and bad way. I would like to see... Uh, I need that A24 set of that bad boy. I wonder if I it got panned too much that it's not going to get one. I don't like the release it has right now. It's not very handsome. Yeah. I need a nice handsome set. I mean, they already spent $35 million on it. <laughs> I don't know. They're probably like mortified. I don't yeah. know. They're doing um, fine. Okay. So I'm going to give Phantom Thread... And, and this is respective to this podcast also right because like i need to look at the scores even when i do this like what have we given like oh my god that's an insane score daniel when did you do that what what i do <laughs> me i'm talking to myself oh what do you do i gave death becomes her a nine five yeah you did that's so fucking that was high. so wild that's so fucking high i mean it it was one of my favorite childhood movies i i Jesus Christ, that's high, though. Um, what else have I given a nine is my question in my head that I'm asking right now. Midsommar gave an eight. It's very um, rare. Fletch, I gave You gave eight. Doctor Sleep an 8.5. I did enjoy that quite a bit. You gave Face Off an 8.9. I gave Tenet an eight. See, I've got a critical reputation. You gave Clockwork Quartet. Orange a nine. Yeah, this isn't on the level of, of Clockwork Orange. That's gave, a good metric, you actually. You gave The Fountain a 9.5. And you gave E.T. a 9.5, and you've never gone near 9 other than that. Yeah. That's, dude, that's... That, to me, from a statistical standpoint... Death Becomes Her is the highest score you've ever given. No, it is not, Dan. It's tied for it. What is it, what is it tied with? No, I gave... I've given things 10s. I've Didn't I give... Um, oh, no, you gave Barry Lyndon a 10. I gave Barry Lyndon right. a 10, which right. that's a, also a good metric. I would say I I am critically consistent. Aside from that, no, you've only given a nine point five to the Fountain, ET, and fucking uh, Death Becomes Her. Nothing beyond that ever. Uh, I'm gonna have to change Death Becomes Her. <laughs> One of these things like is an, not like the other. I would, I would change it to like an eight, <laughs> hard eight, <laughs> for for you, Andrew. 
Um, oh, and you gave uh, duets at that as well. Well, that's the different kind of scoring. <laughs> yeah. What else here? Hold on. Simone I gave, an 8.2. Bro, I gave Salo a 10. I gave Father's Day an 8. We both gave Father's Day an 8. That movie was so fucked up. You gave Simone an 8.2. That was a great movie. Yeah, it was. But awesome. was it an 8.2? No. No. Where did that come from? I, I have, gave it an 8. I wanted to have sex with Catherine Keener. Who doesn't? Dude, those teeth. Gave Be My Cat an 8.5. Which Catherine that... Keener has the prettiest teeth I've ever seen. Okay, relax. Dude, come on. What do you mean? I don't know. You just kink shame me all the time that I felt like it was time to turn it around. I complimented the woman's teeth. I, I'll I'll fuck a woman's anything. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat one. Um. Uh, yeah, nine five for ET. <laughs> you'll, you'll eat one. What? <laughs> a woman. Dan, move on. <laughs> That's my new gag for this season. Is is cannibal vibes? But don't bring it up again. It's got to be more subtle than that. Okay. Just like, just like Reynolds Woodcock was in this movie. Yeah, he's like, you look so good. I'm hungry. Yeah, for that poison, baby. Yeah. All right, my man's hungry. I we haven't done your review yet. Yeah, at uh, all. So I know um, I don't. I'm gonna pass the chalice over to my mi brother. <laughs> I, um, I had a guy come in the other day to work. <laughs> Is this you passing the chalice to your brother? Yeah, for sure. So I had a, I had a guy come in from work, right? And he was, I, I do have many customers that speak like full Patois and they'll come in and they speak Patois to everyone in their sphere of life. And I'm not going to res- respond to that. Yeah, That's not my responsibility, but I've had a very consistent customer who's come in and he comes in just like. I mean, dude, it would blow it would blow your mind. Oh, yeah. I don't know if he's talking to me or <laughs> or like he's You're on, like patois the fuck are you talking about? He has like a uh, an earbud in sometimes, so I think he just comes in just like blah, 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 just like talking to <laughs> his sister, I don't know who, but um for for weeks I've been dealing with this guy and um uh, his patois thing is like just out of control. Like he, he I don't I honestly because sometimes I've heard him break it and speak like it's like a shaggy situation. Okay. Where like maybe he's 10% Jamaican, but he's leaning 80% in. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. it's out of control. He's like Adrian Brody with the Jewishness. And he, exactly. <laughs> I, I, dude, that's blown my mind. I cannot stop thinking about that since you brought it up on the podcast. <laughs> like I, and I didn't bring this up at the time. I wasn't honest about it, but I did not know that he was half Jewish. Neither did I. I just I mean, assumed because look at him. I didn't think I had and to his check. Vibe. I didn't yeah. think I had to check. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Canceled. So always with the patois and um, <laughs> a memoir. <laughs> I had the worst week this week at work. I got, always with the patois, a Dan Lyons story. <laughs> always with the patois, a Dan Lyons story. Um, I um, have had this. Always with the patois, my <laughs> Daniel Scott Lyons. Yeah, you like that shit? <laughs> Chapter one. Hear me now. <laughs> Um, Rastafarianism. <laughs> so uh, it's been enough with this guy that, and and I swear to God, he's trying to get it out of me too. Um, he's he like, saw a picture of you on Facebook with like a fucking drug rug and hemp necklace <laughs> from back in the day. He's trying to get it out of me too. He'll be like, "Ain't me right, me brother," <laughs> and he'll be looking me right in the eyes, and and like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah, like, yeah. I I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm being like even more white than I usually am. Like yeah. I'm more urban than even what You're I just like, did. You're like hell there. yeah, blood. <laughs> I was like, 
Yeah, man. Cool. And, and, and it's been ramping up and ramping up. Then we had this huge, huge problem where his customer's credit card rejected while we were on the job delivering like $25,000 worth of fucking product. It went completely sideways. And then I had to work like really close with him. Heard him speak quite a few times. It didn't sound very Jamaican a couple times. Mm. And not that, you know, it's none of my business or whatever, but this is what I'm saying. This is how I got my Patois pass. I'm about to, we're, we're building up to it. Okay. And then... um you didn't previously have a patois pass from all uh, your time seeing Modest Yahoo as a boy? <laughs> no. <laughs> Those times were forced upon me. And he would just show up while I was on horse drugs. Dude, that's a, a king chair. without a crown. He just wants to get down. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> don't want to hear that gibberish. <laughs> he sucks, dude. Dude, Modest Yahoo being a thing is so crazy. Gay! <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, so the other day, this problem finally gets resolved and he's like, um, he's like, thank you so much, man. It means so much to me. You helped me. I was like, I, yep, 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 yep. And he was just like, he's like, you know what I do after this, man? And I was like, (laughs) what? He's like, I go home. I smoke the biggest misbliff in the whole world. He's like going uh, like I have other customers I have phones ringing I'm just like standing there like and he's just like I'm not even gonna bother trying to repeat it it was insane like he was like I'm me go fuck 20 women tonight man blah 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 dude if at any moment in my entire life I got to feel one tenth of the self confidence that every black person I've ever met sure. feels at all times and I'd, be, I'd be like working for Ness <laughs> and so we get all the way to the end and he's like He's like, damn me up, brother. And I'm like, oh, my God. He just give him that big high five. And he goes, what are you doing tonight? And I just looked at him and I was like. You're like, I too am smoking this spliff, sir. I was like, You're like, yo, cool drugs. I was like, this is it. I was like, this is it. This is my moment. This is, I'm in. And I was like, nothing much. Boop. No, I was like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I was like. um. I was like, I'm getting irie. And he was like, oh! <laughs> it was literally like, bada bop boom pow. And with that, he nailed it. And with that, um, Dan Enden, what is your review of Paul Thomas Anderson's? <laughs> Phantom Thread. Dude, someone's going to come on from Reddit looking to hear a review of Phantom Thread. We're 30 minutes into the episode, and that's all we've done. If you didn't like that bit, you don't like life. Dude, uh, Phantom Thread. God, what a different vibe than mm-hmm. that story. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody had to lighten it up in here. Yeah, I, uh, I feel like I don't have a lot to say because you just said exactly how I feel about this movie. Let's go! Hell yeah, dude. That is what daddy likes to hear. Loved it. Rolling in hard. Loved the experience. Glad I bought the 4K disc. We'll watch it again sometime. Like, had a great time. Afterwards, I was like, that was great. Nine out of ten. And I was like, wait a second. Let me go look at my shelf of other movies this same person made. Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10. 
9.5 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 9 out of 10. I'm like, do I like this movie more than any of those movies? Those movies being Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk right. Love, There and, Will Be Blood. And and not to interrupt you, but I am saying that like that is what I was getting at earlier, where like I'm giving this movie a 9 for the podcast. Yeah. Against his work, furthest I could go would be like eight an 8. Yeah. And even that feels a little strange. So what have I given a 9? Dr. Sleep, that's insane. Um, yeah, that was not as. Uh... I did have a great time watching it though. Yeah, me too. I I do love that. Speed movie. Racer, eight point seven five. I'm gonna stick with that. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna stick with that, <laughs> dude. It's coming around, man. There's dude, me- fuck off with memes, it already. Memes, my time's coming, dude. Memes have been showing up. All right. Well, I'll be I'll be happy that the Midsummer community is nine thousand times the size of this the fucking Speed Racer community, and we we can both have our terrible art. In our separate corners. Yeah, Speed Racer is far more artistic than Midsommar. <laughs> Face Off, 9.5. Am I, am I going to say I liked this movie more than I like watching Face Off? No. No. Ugh. No, I mean, the, dude, Face Off's a special thing. Uh, you don't get movies anymore or ever or ever again like Face Off. So let's see, what did I give around an eight, a Moneyball? I gave an 8.9. This was so much better than Moneyball. Christ. Uh, That's a hard sell for you, though. I understand that. Jersey Girl, 8.5. Nice, dude. Um, No, I I think I got all... I mean, my plan was to come and give this a 9 out of 10 as well. That was... I didn't expect to leave Bo is Afraid saying I'm giving that a 9 out of 10. I didn't think you were going to give either of these movies a 9. I would have said... Originally, walking into this podcast, you would have given Bo is Afraid a four to five, and this movie like a seven at best. No, I loved this movie. I mean, my big, like, my biggest critique of it was the same thing that I thought the last act was incredibly rushed. It, I yeah. thought it needed to be longer. Which I could have really... taken many more. And it's like, I wanted more Woodcock. I wanted. So much, so much Woodcock. First of all, yeah. most handsomely dressed person in any movie, maybe ever. Like just his vibe in this movie it was like, he was like friggin' Ichabod Crane mixed with like a fucking <laughs> supermodel. I mean, he was a gorgeous man in this movie. I think even at one point, they just flat out say it. They're just like, they just have Alma go. She's just like, you are just so fucking goddamn handsome. Yeah. He's like, yeah. No. And I was like, agreed. And I, I like a, Dude, a, the the score of this movie. So good. It's like Barry Lyndon. It reminds me a lot of Barry Lyndon. And but I'm just like you very know, very repetitive and gorgeous and fitting for the time. But just, but so nice with like the camera cues syncing up with it. Like I you know before there will be blood, I was like Johnny Greenwood's scoring films, and then the there will be blood score is one of my favorites ever. What is what is he from? Radiohead. Oh, is he? He's the oh, guitarist that's Johnny of, Greenwood. He's the Radiohead. guitarist of Radiohead. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I never put that together. Uh, and then this he's, one. He's on... Uh, but this does kind of lead me to one issue is that I, I prefer... And this is not knowing he's from Radiohead, so no bias. Yeah. Don't worry. <clears throat> because, because probably would have happened. But um, I very much prefer John Brion that he, he worked with throughout the early parts of his career. Uh, career. That... I had such an obsession with his scores and I just feel like um, Johnny Greenwood, who's done, I think the master, there will be blood in this yeah. and licorice 
Pizza. I don't maybe. remember about Licorice Pizza. I find all of these soundtracks to be um, used in the way that soundtracks were in like the early days of Hollywood. Just like sure. very classic repeating motifs with not a lot of momentum that are just meant to set a certain feeling to each scene and kind of move on. And I get that. That's part of this stylistic evolution that PTA has had. But it's one of the things I think that I don't like as much. I mean, this this score, notwithstanding, because this score, if I were a, a score enthusiast or bought vinyl, something like that, would definitely want this. This is like classic music. Just yeah. like amazing human music. Well, because um, like John Brion, I love and my absolute favorite thing Fiona Apple ever did was the unreleased mm-hmm. John mm-hmm. Brion Extraordinary Machine version. And my favorite track she ever unintentionally released was John Brion's version of Not About Love. And I love John Brion's music with Amy Mann as well. Oh, yeah. But like, what I was going to say is that his aesthetic is like very inherently modern to me, even when he's doing like the like more classical, especially of like. Well, that's the whole point. He'll do like. He'll do like. Um, like 1800s, like a lot of like lutes and fucking like organ shit. That's like it's, but it's like got like an electronic underpinning that's like very modern. Whereas like Johnny Greenwood, you know, the There Will Be Blood score I love, but it's predominantly all just violin. So I, I was like, I was like, this is perfect for this movie, especially tonally and timeline wise. With this, there was like I didn't look to see if he had done the score first. And the first musical cue I oh, really 100% noticed. Oh, one hundred percent did. I, I'm not even he looking did. it up. No, I, 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 yeah. I, I verified. I did not look it up. A, a musical cue happened yeah. that I was like, "That sounds like one of those Johnny Greenwood dissonant ass uh, fucking descending lines." I, I don't, looked. I don't like when soundtracks are like that. A, I don't like, and this is an interesting discussion actually because like, they could have mu- had the dude from Kevin Smith that as does all his scores. <laughs> as much as I love Hereditary. Midsommar, Ambo is Afraid, I think all three of them have bad soundtracks. I don't like unremarkable atmospheric music. I just don't. Um, there are horror movies. The, the um, Midsommar score is far and away the biggest example of what I was just trying to describe in terms of what I see as like John Brion's like underpinning aesthetic where like it's like clearly trying to evoke like gothic feel while being like super modern sounding. I just and I don't so, care for it. I don't care for it at all. Did you know that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross just did the recent Ninja Turtles movie? I did. It's so fucking odd. It's so odd. I, I'm excited to see that movie, actually. I'm <laughs> Check that out. excited to see Nine Inch Nails next time they're around. Hard pass. Um, <laughs> too, that looked too spooky for me last time. Dude. I remember when you went and saw that show, it was like the... I went to back-to-back nights. It was the height of my anxiety problems that i was having at the time and i remember you sent me like a video from that and i was like i would have died i would have absolutely died in that room if you weren't dealing with that at that time and what you would have geeked out at that show the whole one of them you said though yeah the first night one i love when they play like like industrial fucking music that is my favorite this was all like it was like two hits and then like all shit from like 2010 forward like really like there were no guitars on stage it was like yes djs like that is what daddy really intense experimental electronic music and like three quarters of the crowd was like what the fuck is happening and then like been cooming dude i was like it was like primordial jungle shit. Like I was like feeling like I was at six twenty seven oh nine. Um, 
I just laughed because I looked at our season so far. Tiptoe, Scream 6, Asteroid City, Mac and Me, Bones <laughs> Afraid, and Phantom Threat. Classic movie blues season so far. I just know. literally everywhere. Promises broken. Just insanity on all fronts. But yeah. um, either way, uh, yeah. love the score to this movie. Fantastic. Me too. Johnny Greenwood yeah. growing as a composer. That being said, having said that, but and we got a lot of prepositions here. I don't like scores that are. Uh, they should create a term for it if they don't already have. Where they it. make themselves a character. Well, where they are created clearly, like in isolation from what the movie, and just like I have this like weird feeling about scores, like like the one in Phantom Thread. But I loved it. It just happened that I loved what was going on. Um, but. I just find them un- unremarkable. Um, You're saying not you feel like it was not done to the movie. It was done and then put over the movie. Yeah. I felt the exact opposite with this one. Really? I honestly felt that more with There Will Be Blood. I feel, like the, this, I feel the complete opposite. This movie, I felt. I feel like a person sat, like Johnny Greenwood sat and watched There Will Be Blood and made dread noises. And I feel like in this movie, he picked the time period, the style, and the feeling, and like wrote a like a sonata to it, mm. and was just like, "Here it is." I think you should rewatch the first act of this picture, Dan, because <clears throat> there there are some musical cues where I was like, "Oh, this is my man!" Like learning to meld hmm. his aesthetic brain with what's happening on the screen in a way I have not seen out. before. There are some cues where like it's like he places something down on the breakfast table right as like something swells, like it's like. It's like they're like they're he the score to this emphasizes like there's there's a like running theme of no, no, this no, movie I, where like it's so mundane what's happening on the screen but there's tension because you know the characters are off yeah and the score emphasizes that in such a beautiful way mm-hmm. that like there are camera shots where like camera moves the fucking horn the violins move like I'm just like no I I, I loved it, I dude. noticed all of that that isn't what I'm talking about there's just like a recurring series of very formal classical themes that happen in this movie and it's like kind of like Barry Lyndon where, where you could have just taken like any baroque piece and threw it over sure. it to have the same effect but but this watch i was able because the way i re- remembered it was that it was just that this watch i was able to see that there are variations and buildings to back and forth of that theme and like it's almost as if every time they do that theme in and around everything around it there are all these interesting atmospherics that kind of lead back to it and it comes in at really resonant moments in the story mm-hmm. like <clears throat> during the new year's party scene and things like that like it's used well and i love the soundtrack for this movie but it's still to me is part of this shift for pta where like I'm, my brain is still kind of like getting used to him not existing as the filmmaker that i got into right because had you shown me Phantom Thread, um, the week after I saw Boogie Nights, I would be like, what the yeah. fuck well, is this? Boogie like, Nights treats the score and soundtrack like Goodfellas era Scorsese does. Of like. course. Well, that, yeah, this was back during a different era. So I think the point is that um, PTA has evolved and some of that evolution has been rough, but I would say that his output is far more impressive than like Wes Anderson in oh, terms of yeah. like the evolution. I mean, as far as I'm but, concerned, Royal Tenenbaums is the only elite movie Wes Anderson ever made. And But fucking, I still I still feel like PTA is fucking it up though. I yeah, I well I mean, dude, because like 
Which is what's weird about this conversation. It's weird that... because of where this falls in the chronology, because the master was at this point four movies of his ago, but like that was such a misstep. But like it's like I watched them out of order. Whereas like in the scheme of things, like had like if I'm just thinking about his filmography in order, the master is really the right. first major misstep. And then he followed it up with fucking See, this is what you're what missing. Came, what came after? This Inherent is what you're Vice. This Inherent is what you're Vice, missing. I found middling. Like, I went and saw all of these movies when they came out. Yeah. And that, for me, it's gone really up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. While there is a better overall quality to these pictures, like, they're not hitting in the way that those first few were, of course, because it's a very different vibe. It's like, you wouldn't expect... Um, the wrestler to hit like Requiem for a Dream because Requiem for a Dream is a highly stylized movie, and the wrestler is an attempt at a character piece, um, and and grounded to death. And this is like I think the, the wrestler is an infinitely better movie than Requiem for a Dream. I'm oh I'm not comparing their quality. Yeah. I'm just saying you it's hard to put them next to each other because you're looking at a director who shifted styles. Tarantino. You can take most of his movies and put them next to each other because has he evolved all that much? I would say absolutely not. I, like, I mean, I think Kill Bill was an evolution, and then from there on out, it's been autopilot. Yeah, and he he reaches back into the same wells kind of over and over again. Yeah, and um, some directors don't make this like hard left turn, and I really feel like PTA has made a turn into making movies that are like more grounded and less stylized than his usual licorice pizza, nonwithstanding because licorice pizza has that like navel gazing Hollywood boogie nights bullshit in it, but it's like a boring movie on top of it. Like they're, they don't do it in service. Incredibly boring movie. Like I will always say that boogie nights is a story that a, is incredible as a story, regardless of the fact that it's about porn. That seemed to be like the stigma that haunted Boogie Nights originally when it came out. Like, this is the porn movie. Yeah. Like, after everybody had collectively been like, oh, Showgirls, like, this is like the stripper movie or striptease. This is the stripper movie. And people kind of wrote that off. And I feel like he wanted to, like, at this point, he wants to shirk like any labels. I mean, what you can't be like, oh, this is like PTA's 1950s dress movie. It's like, that's actually an interesting concept for, yeah. for a film to be staged in that and isn't particularly based on anything. Like that's, that's a wild swing. It's just I find weird that interesting. Fucking, it's just like his brain is fucking weird to me. Like, sure. Like, you know, you, you always make fun of like my autistic brain for like the weird things I'll latch onto and like do a lot of research on, but I'm just like reading about this movie and it's like, Oh, he decided to write this movie after he was doing reading a book about this fucking French dressmaker. Like, I was like, why was he doing that to begin with? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, this this gets to the conversation a bit from Tenet, which was that I liked that movie not because it was a good or bad movie. I liked that movie because I felt like I was looking into somebody else's brain, and like that brain was extremely complicated and ridiculous and had mechanisms that I would never reach in a thousand years. And like, that's what makes Christopher Nolan special in a way. And PT Anderson is now becoming the kind of director where that's what makes him special. Like a movie about oil on its face was not what anyone expected from him. 
No. Like a fucking Upton Sinclair book is not what anybody expected from him. And that movie changed the trajectory of every approach that he had. I mean, I don't know where he got the balls to do that in the first place. Did that movie losing to No Country for Old Men is like the biggest joke? I hate that movie. I really don't like that movie. Which is crazy because I love the Coen brothers. Yeah. And I find that movie fraught. That was one of the movies where the ending, I like walked out of it being like, I'm so fucking mad. Yeah. Like, I am mad. Yeah. Same. Absolutely hate the ending. (laughs) It's like one of the most anticlimactic, bizarre endings. People love it. They do. And people, we talked about people loving this movie. A lot of vitriol towards this movie as well, Dan. A lot of people fucking hate Phantom Thread. Do they? Yeah. Not in the critical press. Yes. I mean, it's got like a fucking 90 or something. It won all a million awards. Wasn't hated or anything. Wasn't polarizing at at that big of a degree. I mean, compared to his catalog, if you look at scores, I saw an average review of 7.9. Yeah, well, I think that... And it's liquorated down by a lot of, like, fives. I think that licorice pizza was received better than Phantom Thread. Yeah. Which is... It's not Fucking bananas. Yeah. But that's just Hollywood. You make a Hollywood but movie. the master is way more highly regarded than this Like, movie. you know what movie we should do in the podcast, too? Like, in the same vein, kind of, is, like, Damien Chazelle's um, Babylon. I've heard that that is, like, a three-hour epic fucking mind fuck like the, the one that came out last year yeah the with brad hollywood pitt. movie yeah another brad pitt hollywood movie yeah um that movie i heard is an epic fucking experience i thought like when you first said that i was like babble which is like a no- oh my god that movie yeah no thank you yeah same um no i would i think babylon's perfect for this podcast mm-hmm. uh, particularly because i don't remember a movie where i've seen so much wait you saw babylon no, I oh. have I, I haven't seen so much like opposing vocal yeah. like public discourse from like right. prominent filmmakers. Like I well, kept seeing like filmmakers going to bat for it or like talking shit on it, which like is very unusual. You know what was close to that is uh, Amsterdam. Amsterdam was like the movie that That's the David O. Russell. Yeah. I watched that on my most recent flight. And you said you liked it, right? No. Oh really? No. Oh it's bad. It's because it got I mean that was like Hollywood turned in on itself and was like, fuck you for making this movie. And I, I, I'm i curious about that one. It, I'm not going to say it's Christian Bale and Thin Face. Very much so. <laughs> Christian Bale and Thin Face. Um, <laughs> who's the woman in that movie? Uh, Taylor Swift. No, uh, I'm not going to remember her name. She's in all sorts of shit now. She's very, 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 very famous. Um, Taylor and- Swift. Well, Taylor Swift's in it for, like, four seconds and gets fucking murked. Um, Seen that scene on YouTube. That movie was so stupid. I just watched that Pale Blue Eye movie. Yeah, the Edgar Allan Poe, Christian Bale film. This was the same movie as that, but way worse. Amsterdam. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's real, like... Both of those movies got bad. It's big, like, Sherlock Holmes vibes. What what is going on with Christian Bale, man? (laughs) I don't know, man. <laughs> He's made some legitimately stinky movies in his career. Like, like he, Amsterdam wasn't a stinky movie. It was just like it didn't need to exist. Like, it I brought, like I'm not even talking about that. It he was like, like he, he it, it brought absolutely nothing to the table. It was real generic, just like early 1900s fucking like You know what everyone tells vibes? me is so good that I haven't seen yet with what, Christian Bale? What's that? Um <sighs> It's a movie where he's like an old general of an um, 
it's like not horrors. It's fucking dangers. What is the fuck? I can't remember. It's quality content. <sighs> I don't know. Move on. Christian Bale. Remember like when like, you know, obviously there was American Psycho, but then there was like it was like the machinist. And then there was like a chunk where it was like oh, equilibrium. It was like Christian Bale is going to be like the actor. Do you fuck of with our equilibrium? Yeah. So good. Yeah. So bad, though. It's a bad movie. Like, but. It's like, oh, this is like as method as it gets. Like, and then it was like Batman. And then I was like, oh, this dude's just cranking out movies undiscernibly. Everything he did after Batman has been up and down. But uh, the Dick Cheney movie, that was incredible where he was Dick yeah, Cheney. That, I, I thought that was amazing. That was wild. That was a feat of acting. Yeah. Like to the millionth degree. That was so weird. He was so good in it. Like so good in it. I, it's not a movie I would want to watch again, but man, he fucking nailed it. Yeah, that he one. did crush that. Um still trying to think of the name of that Western that he's in that everyone always talks about. Oh. Tra- oh, the like Civil War general movie? Yeah, dude. Um, it's like tragic uh it's like one word plural. Like glory? Is it horrors, tragic uh fucking Christ. Someone is probably This isn't recent. Oh, I just had it in my head too and I almost said it out loud. Um, uh, it's, it's about five years ago at this point. Um, tragedies, tangiers, please look this up. I can't anymore, Dan. It's hurting my head. Imagine how quick I could do it if you didn't make me go on airplane mode. Terrors. Hostiles. Hostiles. Fuck! (laughs) Jesus Christ! Yeah, everyone always says that that movie is so good. Ben Foster. I've never even heard of this movie. Ben Foster bangs, dude. Oh, yeah. He's great. Oh, Um, that's what we people say that dude, that movie is so good. Hostels dude, like go crazy. For we it. had a time on the podcast recently where I was like, there was a movie that for three straight seasons I was like, we have to do this movie, and it's gone from the list, and I lost the list. What is it? It was fucking Ben Foster's Bang Bang, You're Dead. Mm. Oh yeah, I remember you talking about that one. Um, okay, so <laughs> Phantom Thread, nine out of ten. What are you gonna give it? I don't think you resolved your score. <sighs> It's like, it's weird because, like, I keep going to, like, I feel that that was a 9 out of 10 movie, but, like, I didn't necessarily enjoy it as much as other movies that I would give a 9 out of 10. Like, I'm not, like, raving to go rewatch it, but at the same time, it's, like, neither is Barry Lyndon when Barry Lyndon is, like, clearly a fucking, like, borderline perfect movie. Would you agree with my sentiment from before at all that this felt very, like, Stanley Kubrick adjacent? Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. In, in in many of its mechanisms, dude. Dan, this movie, in its soundtrack, in its approach, in its weird depiction the, of something, the that, costume design, like yeah, um, felt felt like it quite a bit, dude. This was like the greatest. It's weird that we don't talk about physical releases more with how much we both fancy them. Mm-hmm. Like this was like the movie that I was like, 4K discs are so fucking worth it. Mm-hmm. Like watching this movie on my TV on 4K disc was like I was like I am watching fucking 16 millimeter film in my house right now. This is fucking breathtaking. Yeah, it's it's a in scenes where there is nothing film. happening. I was just like I feel like I can go touch the shit on screen right now. Like anyone who has a PS5, go start buying your shit on 4K disc yeah. so they keep making them for the love of God. 4K rules. Great bonus features on the disc. Bro, look at that fucking steelbook collection right now. Dude, it's looking juicy. I've collected it all into the same place. I don't I don't keep them upstairs because I want them all in the same place, but I'm about to just uh, start hoping that there's 
one of my secret fantasies, this is a secret nerd fantasy 101. One of my secret nerd fantasies is that we have like a catastrophic event on Earth where like all internet goes down and all I have is my physical collection. Yep. And Dan's like nodding in agreement right now. Yep. Like this is something he's talking about. This is my vinyl collection. Yep. And, and, and my Blu-rays collection. And... um. And all I have are the films that I, I have finally purchased, and and it turns out that I made the right choice, and Dude. that I have a cornucopia yep. that could last a human being. To I've the made end of this their days. exact justification so many times, yeah. like that me throughout and my, my life. That me and my wife could sit down and watch each Steelbook 4K Best Buy Blu-ray that I have, one after another, and it would take all year. Dude, <laughs> and my brain goes to the place where, like, during lockdown, when that happened, I was like, "Look, it could happen," and Kat's like. We still have internet. This isn't that. I'm like, but look, it, something like this could happen. Imagine if we did. Oh, dude. Imagine if we didn't have internet. During the pandemic. We would have enough content to watch, including all of our favorite shows, mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> Music as well. 100%. And it's a good feeling. But uh, it's like owning a gun. It's like all my books. It's like owning a gun. You don't you need it. You don't want to you don't want to have to need it. Yeah. But, but you're happy you have it if you do. But on a on a snowy night in the apocalypse eight years in, you may be happy that you have that Phantom Thread bonus features. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Did you watch the bonus features? Are they good? Um because I have the digital I, version I of the dabbled. Movie. I I'll check it out. There was some really nice um I feel like it's gonna be like all these auteurs recently. Like you watch these things and they don't give up much. Like No, you, quite the opposite. You, oh, it's the opposite? Yeah, this is some oh, real nice. like juicy transparent oh like, good and there's like there, i thought he would be a little there's guarded. like the creation of the score like with johnny Good greenwood in the fucking studio like cool. it's uh i haven't gone through all of them yet but it was for like what i bought which was like the cheapest shittiest plastic shitty disc yeah i was like wow there's actually bonus features let's go dope movie but i don't think that it's enough for me to trust paul thomas anderson yet quite okay because he made this and then made licorice pizza after it. Yeah, yeah. Which is troubling. <laughs> because that's like totally licorice pizza is like the progression of what he was doing with Boogie Nights, but in a way that I don't desire. <laughs> I just would prefer he move on if he's gonna move on and not navel gaze and talk about Hollywood. Just give up on the entertainment industry and make weird movies. Yeah. I'm just like At what point this is interesting to ask a first time. I'm done here. with movies about California. For sure. Like, I get it. It's where they make movies, but like. Enough is enough. Dude, jerk off in private. <laughs> I'm like, so very Like, you said it. Babylon, and like, Babylon, I'm like, oh, wow, there's so much discourse. Obviously, I'm going to watch this at some point, but I'm I just love... like so exhausted from fucking Hollywood movies. I'm not. <laughs> of course. Like, I, I almost. I, 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 I always watched... watch them. Doesn't mean they're going to be good. I mean, I hated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But... I put on the Fablemans on the plane oh, on God. the way back from yeah. San Fran. I, I made it 10 minutes it. in. It was like, I am out. Yeah. I'm fucking out. I don't dude. think that's for me. Honestly, I hate late Spielberg. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's so boring. I mean, he's just DOA on every movie that I watch from him since like so wild. a little bit before the post on. I'm just like this. This is literally old man shit. I, yeah, I don't like you watch a, a some of the recent Scorsese joints and not, you know, not counting the Irishman. And that could be a young young filmmaker. Still like game. what? What's a recent Scorsese? Joint? Like, um. Hugo, you wouldn't expect an eighty-five-year-old man made fucking Hugo that even exists, or like you wouldn't expect that um, an 
an old man would have made silence. Like, yeah, it is like a really slow and meditative movie, but like, it's just an insane thing for like an 85 year old man to go out in like the jungles of fucking Asia. <laughs> it's like same thing with Ridley Scott, like Ridley Scott's out there shooting movies in like fucking Budapest at the foot of a mountain. Man. And he should be like drinking Metamucil Dude, on like a recliner couch. James Cameron going out filming movies in front of a green screen. Oh God, dude. Come on. Fucking Avatar. Didn't you give Avatar like a 9.5? It is a technical achievement. That's for sure. It's as as mind-boggling as the first one, but if you're going in looking for a good movie, I don't know why you're doing that in the first place. God, I mean, it's a it's a fucking cartoon. It's like a, a tech display. You should you could appreciate just watch that. Speed Racer. Yeah, you could. You should appreciate that from Speed Racer, a far worse movie. It's than already Avatar. been. It's already been perfected. Dude, stop! Stop! <laughs> Seven seasons into this, I can't with Speed Racer anymore. Um. And um, it's like a warm blanket. That brings me to my point, which is just that. Paul Thomas Anderson, I'm watching you, bro. Don't fuck this up. I don't know what you're doing next. I haven't done any research, but um, he's right on the edge of. Yeah. If the next movie I'm he certainly, makes. I'm certainly not going to say that like I just trust him, given that like this streak has been like movie I fucking hate. The Master is what clouds all of this, Movie I was indifferent towards, movie that I thought was fantastic, Phantom Thread, and then movie I was totally indifferent towards. So, like, I'm, like, it, I mean, you know, Ari won me back over. I can't, we can't cut that. (laughs) That's unbelievable. I'm not gonna ever, like, be, like, dreading watching a PTA movie, but, like, I'm now, because of, like, I'm going to go into everyone being, like, there's potential that I'm gonna fucking hate this. Yeah, I hate that, though. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Whereas, like, what's odd is I would walk into a Quentin Tarantino movie still assuming that I'm probably going to really enjoy it. Um, He hasn't, like, lost my trust entirely from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think he got that kind of hopefully out of his system, but um, it's weird. It's weird the relationships that you have with like auteurs and people that make the cinema that actually matters because you have expectations on them, which is probably why I think Bo is Afraid is the worst Ari Aster movie. And my expectations of his work are totally different than yours. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, even while Paul Thomas Anderson's making shitty movies or just like middling movies, I can still watch them and be like, man, is this like one of the most talented fucking filmmakers in this country by far? Yeah. Yeah. Like um, even the master, I was like, this is a complete fucking navel gazing piece of shit. But like other people are fucking spellbound by it. And like, I can recognize that like it I looks to, good. I have to rewatch it. I've only seen it one time. I it's think so Did I see it twice. I know I saw it in theaters. We already went. Yeah, it's fucking boring as fuck. It's so boring. I just remember hating it. Like strong feelings of hatred. Yeah, I'm very, very confused by like the general populace's reaction to movies like this. Like the reaction to Bo is Afraid being so visceral by the same type of people who love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and 
I can't. Like, I, again, I, I, I struggle to blame anyone for disliking Bo's Afraid. It's such a fucking niche alienating experience. But <laughs> yeah, but like <laughs> it was dope. But like, but Jesus people are going to be like, I hated Bo is Afraid. I saw one review, dude. That Bo was is like, Afraid is like the crank two of Ari Aster's career for I, sure. I saw one review <laughs> that was like, like this movie is trying to achieve the lofty goals of Mulholland Drive totally unsuccessfully and i was just like you're trying to upset me with like the yeah. fucking like antagonism of that statement it's so insane you're getting baited hard yeah i'm just like dude like there's a, a world of people that think mulholland drive is a masterpiece and are like calling bows afraid pretentious oh uh, and we haven't talked about the movie at all no god forbid we had done that i mean what but... do you what is there to say you could sum up the entire plot well, of this movie in two sentences I, I would like to call... Which, like, people are always incredibly hostile towards movies, like, such small-scale movies like I this. I actually couldn't sum this up in two sentences. Like, there are so many things that we're not talking about because we're talking about the person who made the movie that that are incredible about this movie, that are, like, deep and rich about this movie. I mean, it does have, like, a twist in it that is something, for sure, and it is telegraphed, like, extremely far away. Did you see the twist coming at what point in, in did you feel like you knew that alma was poisoning him the exact second she pulled out a yellow mushroom for the first time after so being told earlier in the movie not to harvest the yellow mushroom so very early in the movie yeah yeah so yeah i mean the she shouldn't they they Talk about a fucking Chekhov's guess, gun having the only shot that takes place outside in the for the first hour of the movie is her fucking foraging and someone in the background being, Alma, make sure you don't take the yellow <laughs> mushrooms. They are poison. Oh. And then like 10 minutes later, she's yeah. looking at a mushroom cookbook holding a yellow mushroom. I was like, OK, dude. this is an absolutely phenomenal Chekhov's gun example uh, in terms of it being like bad writing and also yeah, horrible but, writing. But, um, I, you know, I would argue that while that. Uh, was all telegraphed really far. That isn't... There's the no way to know what the reaction would have been. That isn't the <laughs> twist of Phantom Thread. No. The twist of Phantom Thread is that he fucking likey. Yeah. Um, that's the twist of Phantom Dude, Thread. Dude, when this movie ended, I was like, I watched it with Kat, and I was like, what do you think? She was like, I mean, it was amazing, but like that ending was dark and Rachel confusing. Did not like so, so I go so I, I explained the like the twist and she was like, that's really dark. And I was like, yep. <laughs> um, I love so many lines in this Rachel movie. Rachel didn't like this movie, you said? Hated this movie. That doesn't um, surprise me. But but I don't think she saw the ending. She left ha about halfway through. Just found it uninteresting. That doesn't um, surprise me at all. Um, some of my favorite lines in this Philistine. movie. Philistine. Um, Reynolds Woodcock. Uh, incredible character. The lines of dialogue, I'm assuming, were written specifically by Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. And they're all so fucking good. Dude, some of them um, are so funny. It's much like There Will Be Blood, where everything the character says you got to drink in. Yeah. Everything that Reynolds Woodcock says is fucking gold. The realization moment uh, at which he knows that he's bought into this sick, twisted relationship, it's very similar to the moment in Punch Drunk Love when... Um, they're laying in bed and they go into the talk about eating each other's flesh and yada, yada, yada. And what you're seeing in those conversations are like people who are in love, like reaching an understanding of like abstract hunger for each other. That is like 
defies reality or common sense or blah, blah, blah. And his like recognition moment that he enjoys being poisoned by her. He just goes, kiss me, my girl, before I'm sick. Yeah. Um, twisted. Yeah. Really bizarre. Very um, bizarre. Love that moment of recognition. The music in that scene was fantastic. Um, my favorite line in the movie is um, when Reynolds, um, who, and this is something we surprisingly didn't talk about. Originally, I was going to try to pitch to you that we would do a double episode, um, more like an actual double episode about both of these movies kind of concurrently. Okay. Um, because they both represent tremendous tremendous um examples of anxiety and what it's like to live with anxiety and what it's like to be a particular person and want things your way and only feel comfortable when things are your way i mean there's a huge through line between reynolds woodcock and um what ari aster was trying to achieve in terms of portraying what it's like to be really trapped by your anxiety i mean i it's not a discussion that comes up much in the discourse of Phantom Thread in terms of its reviews. I don't, I haven't read into like whatever Reddit articles you probably ended up in, but um, I felt tremendous anxiety watching Reynolds Woodcock. He is an insanely anxious person who is a genius, but has particularities that are wild. All right, where are you going? You're gonna, you're gonna pee. Should I just keep reading? You want me to just keep going? This is the first honor roll during a pee. Um, um <laughs> feel very weird about this. <laughs> you're go, well, you're gonna hear the peeing sound. Stan says what he thinks about my critique. No, I'm sure I can hear it pretty well in the cans here. <laughs> Hearing it pretty good. It's pretty loud. <sighs> That's Briss, baby. You never finished uh, the three body problem, huh? No. So I guess it's not worth recommending you another semi similar but fascinating book. No. I'll finish it at some point. It's um, like a very bizarre. Dude, like the amount. Like, a lot of people don't finish books, but, like, I will read a book until, like, I'm in the home stretch and not finish it. It's so odd. Like I, I do that sometimes. I read, like, 250 pages of the three-body problem. Sometimes I'll stop at, like, 100 pages left and just can't bring myself That's to do it. That's about where I am with three-body problem. Um, favorite line in the movie is um, Reynolds Woodcock uh, is such a particular person that he cannot be interrupted while he's in thought, while he is doing his work, while he is I having feel his you, my breakfast. Brother. I thought that Dan was going to resonate very hard with this character and say things like, I feel you, my brother, a lot to many of his predilections. <laughs> um, he is a, an incredible uh, genius, but is a insane introvert. I would assume extreme agoraphobe uh, does not like parties, functions, weddings, social gatherings of any kind, just likes doing I was work. watching, I was like, it's so crazy how, like, this woman's just nagging him when he's in the right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no. But at one point, I turned to Kat, and I was like, like, while, while, um, what's the female lead's name? Alma. Yeah, well, Alma's like, it's like after the first poisoning, and they're married, 
and he's doing it's while they're having the discussion about the New Year's party and she like throws a fit and insults him. Uh-huh. And I literally out loud I was like, ridiculous behavior. He's and she was like, What? I was like, She's mad at him for acting exactly the way he's literally always acted since the first moment he met her. <laughs> and then they got married and she's big mad that he's acting how he's always acted and never once was anything but transparent that this is how he's always going to act. Right. And she was like, yeah, ridiculous. I was like, yes. Unless he's sick. <laughs> um, favorite line in the movie. Uh, she walks in, um, tries to bring him tea unsolicited. Uh, that is a huge affront to him Man, in all ways. What's interesting is there probably is a read that you could do on this movie that he's some fancy dressmaker from the 1950s from London. So he's a particular person that I I, I understand that read that he's just like a fancy pants and is trying to be formal about the way he lives his life and conducts his art. But pretty damn sure that he has crippling anxiety yeah. <laughs> in, in all ways um, and tremendous mommy issues and once again and talking um, about the struggle against modernity yeah my man hates when things are chic he does not like chic <laughs> no um, so Daniel she- Day Lewis noted <laughs> chic skeptic <laughs> <laughs> um so Alma comes in with tea and interrupts him and um he starts like having a fucking he's panic. fucking ragging on her dude <laughs> he starts having a fucking panic attack uh for the interruption and she goes okay okay i'll, I'll let less reasonable behavior from he, woodcock he goes uh, uh she goes uh i'm leaving i'm taking the tea out and he goes the tea is going out the interruption is staying right here with me yeah I'm, and that is dude i'm always joking about like a memoir. I was like, a memoir, I'm dude, like, dude. A memoir. Yeah. <laughs> like, write In- write that on my tombstone. <laughs> incredibly prescient dialogue writing from a human being. Like it's yeah. it's it's very like what people used to say about Quentin Tarantino, where it's like every line is a fucking nugget of gold. Yeah. Like I really feel like, especially there will be blood in this film. Every line I love. I yeah. love every line from Cyril. I love like his sister. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, she she's is the fucking, fucking incredible. Easily in this movie. the second star of the film by far. Almost like a nothing character. Almost. It, dude, she is an incredible foil the, to the, Daniel um, Day-Lewis in this movie. Toe to toe with him the whole time. It is so compelling. The the minutia and like subtlety of her character, like amazing, is so wild for a character that has so few lines like there's so you, you learn so much about their dynamic there's so much experience built into her character in terms of how much she's had to deal with his follies and just like male ego like she's just like she knows how to tame she's sick him. of his shit yeah. and is just like feeding into it just to like keep her peace essentially yeah <laughs> um so that's uh wild um and um hold on this is a good one too um this is, I think, the most haunting scene in the movie for me. There is a scene in which they have a dinner where she surprises him with the dinner. Oh, man. Much dude. of the movie is you watching someone not respecting someone else's boundaries to antagonize them into what I would say is a Cronenberg-esque sexual escapade where it's like, 
he is so particular, and this is something someone with anxiety would never experience. This is fantasy, but he's so particular, but he gets off on being attacked over his routine, over yeah, his yeah. and and sexually, and to a point where he lets her immobilize him, which is just it's like so someone, fucking weird. Someone having the audacity to subvert his ground rules is what gets him off. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, he's not used to being challenged at that level, which is just such a weird dynamic to... It's like a dynamic that I see a lot of parallels in as a human being, but also are like, this is so odd. Like, this is not yeah. the vibe I would ever want to go for. I'm like, fuck this. Yeah, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson, it's like... He say, say what you want about him, but like, the man puts himself out there on his movies and is willing to make clear that he's not the best person. This, um, <laughs> it's very true. This, um, like, like, dude, with Ari, we're like, all right, Ari's got mommy issues and he's very neurotic and anxious. With Paul Thomas Anderson, we're like, oh, we're, you're grappling with, like, <laughs> the fact that you're a huge scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you are a, a psychotic narcissist. Like, it's literally like, like he's in therapy. Like, I just don't know how to express myself besides through my movies. And, like, this therapist is like, all right, well, then you got to make a movie about what a piece of shit you are. It's your only option. <laughs> um, so she uh, cooks his asparagus with butter the way that he hates it and serves it to him completely out of the blue and does it as like a surprise knowing ahead of time she's instructed by Cyril not to do it and she still does it and it's an insanely tense scene Dude, like watching most... him, watching him know that he should react positively but being so fucking furious because he knows <laughs> like he's he's like I've been disrespected but he knows that what he's finding disrespectful is totally unreasonable right while like also knowing that he still made clear that he doesn't fucking want it it's I'm like, this it is, is like incredible. the most nuanced acting performance I've ever fucking seen. I was like, yeah. I was like, dude, <laughs> sure. I feel you, my brother. <laughs> so this was, I the, was like, uh, you are enraged about someone's fucking gesture of kindness in a way that I relate to. So and apologies if my wife is listening to this part of the podcast, but this was and whatever it's, it's life. We all uh, have struggles and growing pains with our partners, but this particular interchange of dialogue was like the most I feel you my brother of any of like any part of this movie and he's melting down to her about having like literally thrown an atomic bomb against his anxieties against everything that he's used to by this whole asparagus incident and he says what the hell is this about are you a special agent sent here to ruin my evening and possibly my entire life and like there i like felt physical pain in my chest when he said that dude because i was like that i have thought that exact i was i was like that several times i was like that's life. such a horrible thing to say and i've definitely like said things that are like approaching that level of toxic and how like unreasonable they are of a position to take because I, like I've, i'm just I've, so mad but like i have had that thought i have quite literally on, said like, those exact words out loud <laughs> like when i heard it this time in the movie i thought to myself like am i having a memory i literally had deja vu by hearing it it's like am i having a memory because i've seen this movie before or am i having a memory because i have literally said this out loud yeah but like there are times where i feel like yeah like um where i feel like i've been literally been sent an assassin to destroy me yeah um and um <laughs> 
Shout out, Rachel. The first time this... My shorty ride or or die (laughs) for life. Um, But that's just how it feels sometimes. Um, Like, you know, maybe she said earlier um, on this weekend, like on Thursday night going into Friday, she was like, you know what I want to do this weekend? And I was like, what do you want to do? And she was like, because it's literally like roulette at this point every weekend. (laughs) She's like, I want to just chill and i was like hard pass red flag she was like what do you mean i'm like i it has to be a trap (laughs) i'm not even gonna believe for one second that this isn't a trap anyway she now she's at the dog rescue all that but last night and she was like i need to relax i've been so stressed recently i'm like i am the most stressed i've ever been in my entire life at work right now i need that as well and last night she was like you know, my coworker, Brian, she's a remote worker. So I've met this guy one time. Yeah. He's the guy in the pickle Rick shirt at my party that one time. Okay. In the backyard. Um, no idea what you're talking about. She was like, you know, um, Brian. And I was like, <laughs> she was like, let's go to a, like a brew pub with him. Right. <laughs> On Saturday night after you podcast, you've been drinking all day. She's like, you're going to drink. Right. And I was like, yeah. She's like, okay, let's like go out to a bar. I was like, all right. That's my thing. That's my thing. Compromise, baby. Say yes to the everything. Spice of life. Um, uh, and almost you're, as- you're like, are you a fucking assassin? Come <laughs> like sent back to fuck my life. <laughs> and Alma says, uh, why are you so rude to me? Why are you talking to me like this? And he says, is this my house? This is my house, isn't it? Isn't this my house? And she goes, yes, this is your house. Of course it's your house. And he goes, or did somebody drop me on foreign soil behind enemy lines? I'm surrounded on all sides. And she goes, what a question. You brought me here. You brought me here. And he goes, um, when the hell did this happen? Who are you? Do you have a gun? Are you here to kill me? <laughs> she goes, why are you doing this? And he goes, hmm, do you have a gun? <laughs> Where's your gun? It's <laughs> incredible. Um, he says, I, I think you know all my prefer my asparagus with oil and salt. And knowing this, you prepared the asparagus with butter. Now I can imagine in certain circumstances being able to pretend that I like it made this way. Right now I'm just admiring my own gallantry oh. for eating it the way you've prepared it. That was my single favorite <laughs> line in the entire movie. I was in tears, Dan. Like I had to pause. I paused the movie and I was like, all right, I'm drinking. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking hilarious. I love this line from Cyril. She says about Reynolds, his routine when he's in it, it's best not shaken. This is a quiet time not to be misused. If breakfast isn't right, it's very hard for him to recover the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking line. Which, which, be- which begs the question, Dan. Numerous times throughout this movie, Daniel Day-Lewis um, depicts behaviors that the surface reaction is like obviously that's an unreasonable unhealthy expression of your feelings but for most of them you're like i'm like i think most people would probably be like the underlying messaging knowing who he is as a person and what he's established as his baseline and has been transparent about all along it's not unreasonable for him to be upset or to expect him to be upset about these things however he gets these passes because he's like one of the most successful, respected people in the world. So the question becomes, what's our excuse? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we should leave it at that. (laughs) Like, I was just, I was just like, I was just like, dude, like 
like, very very epic call. We're we're introduced to their dynamic, their conflict dynamic with like her showing up to the breakfast table for the first time and spreading butter on toast so loudly, and it's like clearly just driving him up the fucking wall. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I know how I am in the morning. I wouldn't outwardly react the way he did, which is just like cruel and harsh. Uh-huh. But like internally, I'm like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Like, why are you purposely ruining my entire day? Surely you know my whole day will be ruined because it started off on such an irritating point. Right. I don't have the fucking respect to justify behavior like that. I I go further than that sometimes. So, yeah, hard same. Neither do I. But um, I would say that both this and Bo, I mean, it's... It's really just like reflections of the male ego. There are men that act like this with less than what we have. You know what I mean? Like there are men that treat their women like absolute fucking dirt that are completely not providing for them in any way whatsoever. So, yeah, it's... And both of these movies were pretty much entirely about the fragility of the male ego. Right. And like... For sure. Each of them in like forced self evaluation in a way I wasn't super fond of. Me neither. <laughs> this between Phantom Thread and Bo is Afraid, these films have covered my entire gamut of feeling uncomfortable with myself. Every yeah. there isn't a thing that was not touched upon almost. I mean I don't have gigantic balls, but you do. <laughs> it's gotta have something going for me. Random butt alert. And it don't matter. None of this matters. That's so true. Fucking A, man. Fucking I, so I true. feel you, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of the dark, like, suicidal samples that I have on the board. <laughs> now I have a couple of those. Um, all right. Uh, I think we're uh, pretty much there, yeah? Yeah. Should we talk about what we're going to do next two episodes? Yes. Okay, so the next episode we're going to do uh, is Fried Berry, which is picked by Chase... E-I-E-I-O or whatever his name is on Facebook from the rental zone. Um, Dan, uh, Dan got I us roped my into, soul. into obligations. What did he win? How did this happen? I said, can anyone guess? I think it was my top five favorite movies about aliens right. in chronological order Yeah, of my like for them. Yeah. And they would get to pick an episode. I literally thought it was not going to happen. Yeah, no, that's that's that dude, wild. That dude earned that. Um, so, so, props. We're, so we're watching a movie. We're that watching a movie that neither of us have ever heard of, which means I've never heard of it. For sure, none of you have ever. Heard of for it. sure, none of you. But I mean, stick with us. You know, you know the thing. I mean, if we love it, we're gonna go in the rental zone and tell you to watch it. Sure. If we if don't we hate it, I'm going to be upset. We're going to tell you to watch it so you listen to the episode. <laughs> Perfect. The world may never know. Everyone's happy. So and then, then that leaves Dan End into uh, put uh, put something on the table here. So, Dan, what are you thinking? Following Fried Berry, you're going to revisit something that's been a, um, a recent uh, passion, pet project of Dan Lyons, if you will. God. We're going to call this The Lost Extended Universe. Oh, no. And we're going to watch Child's Play 3, directed by Jack Bender. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, that that'll be a good Halloween one, like, lead up to Halloween. Like, we we need to drop 
all of our bullshit because we have to record something in October with the Friday the 13th series. Yeah. So what do you want to do for that? Maybe like I pick two, you pick two. I think that's a reasonable amount of Friday the 13th movies. I So we'll do the next block of episodes, which we'll have to schedule sometime reasonably because then we're getting into October. Yeah. I want, definitely want those episodes, the Friday the 13th ones, to be like all across I October. I mean, my basically. feeling is like we should do like my, like a remake or a reboot of Friday the 13th. Okay. Wasn't there one recently? 2009. Okay. So I feel like we should do that. Uh-huh. I feel like we should do Jason X. X, for sure. I feel like... And then... My favorite and your favorite, pretty much, right? So that's the question. It's like, because I'm like... Because I have to do mine. Because I'm like, I'm like, Jason Takes Manhattan is an absolute piece of shit, but I feel like it's the most podcastable of all of them. You got to just go with your heart. Yeah. About that one. Because I was going to pick the reboot, because I enjoy the reboot. Okay. Have you seen it? No. Oh, you've never seen the 2009 Friday no. the 13th? Yeah, so my choices were going to be that and... Friday the 13th, The New Beginning, because that is my favorite Friday the 13th. What is that? Five? Four? Five or six. It's the one that takes place at the special education camp. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, obviously. First boobs I've ever seen in my life, ever. First rated R movie I ever saw in my life, ever. And um, a movie that I saw before any other Friday the 13th movie, just saw it at a friend's house. His dad was like, you get on a Friday night during a sleepover, you guys want to watch something fucking crazy? Came down, put that on. I mean, it was like my fucking brain exploded. I'd never seen anything like it. And yeah. It I, fucked me up. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll have to chew on what I want the Okay, last so we'll leave Dan's open. But we'll do two and two. That seems I mean And I, then we could technically we could record that and release it like every week of October leading up to Halloween. Yeah. For four weeks. I mean, dude, like ambitious, I'm, but they're I'm, Halloween mood. They're... I, I told you, I'm down to watch all of them. Yeah, I mean, we could get around to it. I mean, I'm probably not going to rewatch one because, like, I don't need to. I've seen it a ten thousand times. So that's that's the plan. Next block: Friedberry and um, Child's Play Three, which will lead well into Halloween. I feel like in the first place, and then we're going to go full on spooky season. Which I feel like every season of the podcast since the beginning, we've been like. This season, we're going to get spooky, and it never time-wise lines yeah, up. Yeah, no, this time it's happening. I will tell you that I have a lot of availability in September. Rachel's going on several trips. Wow. So um, I think I have several weekends alone here, so we should figure something out. But uh, you're okay. probably busy as fuck. But yeah, just to give people an idea, uh, we're just being cool about the podcast at this point. Just whatever comes up, whatever we want to do, we're going to do. If we ever need to go back to the sequel board, it's right here. We'll spin. I mean, Child's Play was from the sequel board. Child's Play is from the sequel board and is perfect timing. So I'm good with that. And um, I got some spooky boys on this list, Dan. Oh, I mean, dude, come on. You know I'm spooking out. You know I spook 24-7 around here. I'm spooking myself right now. Ah! (laughs) all right everybody um (laughs) have a good uh rest of the day and enjoy um this content and you know support us in any way that you can not financially but like share things and just be cool man not that financially is off the table not that it's off the table if we have any like (laughs) billionaire fans that haven't been turned off by my rhetoric Toss a couple bucks to your boy. If we have anybody that owns like a firefighter association. (laughs) All right. Uh, What are we thinking, Dan? All done? Yeah.
Um, it was nice how at the end of the movie they had a baby. What are you saying? In Phantom Thread. Oh, shit. Oh, this is a baby gag. I got it. All right, cool, man. Fuck. That was really subtle, though. I mean, I thought we were... Yeah, well... We, started thinking about we, it. We've been talking like, about subtle art. Like Bo is Afraid. Scene. All right. I'm with the sorry. penis monster. You know I'm stupid. Bye. Bye.